RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. If you're anything like me, then about this time on Tuesday night, you like to gather around a computer and talk to your pals about Star Trek. Inevitably, it's Mission Log. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Each week on Mission Log Live, we talk to you, and you talk to us. You call in, you chime in, you ring in with your questions and comments. Tonight, we welcome a very special guest, Jess Phoenix. Jess is a scientist, a geologist, and to be precise, well, actually, to be precise, she's a geologist. And in addition to all of that, she's running for office in California's 25th Congressional District. So why are we talking to her? Well, she also happens to be a massive Star Trek fan, and we want to hear how science, Star Trek, and politics all tie together in Jess's world. So we'll talk about that and whatever you want to talk about, provided you tell us what you want to talk about. You can click on the link uh, to our Zoom meeting, or you can use the one-tap phone uh, form, rather, from your smartphone. (sighs) practice. It's a fun thing I should try sometime. <laughs> uh, you could even call us the old-fashioned way. Dial us up at 669-900-6833. That number again, 669-900-6833. Then enter the meeting code that you will find in the show description and in the comments, and away we go. Well, thank you to everyone who is joining us tonight. Shout-outs right away to Paul, who says hi to John and Ken. That's us. Uh, Hi to Donna. Hi to David. Hi to Kim. Hi to Wes, who is uh, greeting us all the way from Minneapolis. So good to see you all and good for you to see us, I hope. If you are catching the show later, then you're either watching the video on Facebook or at YouTube on YouTube.com slash Prod. We also put the audio of this show in its very own special podcast feed. Now you can find that on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Just search for Mission Log Live. Now, speaking of fine podcasts, head over to podcast.roddenberry.com where you'll find links to all of our shows. Oh, let's see. There's Mission Log. There's Mission Log Live that you're listening to right now. There's The Trek Files. There's Women at Warp. There's Priority One. That's, that's at least five shows. And sometimes more just show up. You, you never know. And as long as you're here right now watching us on Facebook, just go ahead and like and share because sharing is caring. Now, we are waiting uh, for Jess to join us. Uh, she'll be doing that in a few minutes. So if you have any questions about real science or fake science or sci-fi science, uh, this is a good time to call and get those ready. Again, you can click the Zoom link or call 669-900-6833. That number again is 669-900-6833. Uh, before we get to uh, that, though, we do have, um, yeah, we got something fun to talk about. Not that, not that it's not going to be fun to talk to her. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but we do have the poll. Uh, well, well, let's talk first about last week's poll. And then um, probably not since the first poll, John, have I actually been excited about a poll question. I'm very excited about tonight's poll question. But wait, let's wait, wait. All, all this time, you, you weren't excited about the poll, except for the first one? Maybe I said <laughs> that incorrectly. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Either way, yeah. I'm very excited about tonight's poll question. But first of all, let's go ahead and recap last week's poll question for people. Okay, so last week's poll question, because we had on a scientist, not unlike tonight's show, but we had on Yvette Dontremont, Cybabe, and we asked you, how important is having science in your sci-fi? 75% of you said very, 25% of you said not very. I'm, I'm still a little shocked. I thought it would have been closer to 50-50, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you don't want to. I, I know that there were a lot of people who were upset about things like the mycelial network in the first uh, in the first season of um, in the first season of Discovery. There were people who were upset mm-hmm. by the metachlorians in uh, you know, the first round of sequels, huh? The first round of sequels <laughs> to uh, the Star Wars movies. So, I mean, I think there I, I, we probably all have a line, right? Where uh, as long as we can sort of at least kind of retcon it in our heads, make it work in the universe that we're playing in, then we're okay. But then, you know, if they try to do like techno babble, that's just like one or two syllables too long. Yeah. I don't know if people are actually thinking, oh, yes, I definitely want something that is really realistic science. It may just be more like, you know, science that actually can at least sound like science as opposed to just 
and then a miracle occurred. It's a tough call. Yeah, I mean, like I said last week, we we accept things like transporters, mm-hmm. which are probably impossible, or or we'll just say highly unlikely, greatly improbable. <laughs> but but um, it, we accept that as part of the storytelling, and, and we're fine with it. We're absolutely fine with it. But then when maybe a transporter does something like uh, makes somebody younger, then we're like, okay, come on, Star Trek. Now you're pushing it. Now you're pushing it. I wonder, too, though, if it has to do with the aspirational nature of some of the science that we're talking about, right? Like, we Mm -hmm. want to believe that, okay, so we have this idea, the idea is for a transporter. We want to believe that we're going to keep going, you know, in such a a vein, in such a direction that 200 years from now, the things that we think of as absolutely insane uh, turn out to have been spot on. I mean, I'm thinking about things like uh, there is a shot that you and I have talked about a million times in um, the cage when they linger on the communicator 1964 there's no way you were talking to somebody without wires unless you were at war and radioing somebody with like a huge radio that was like this big and there's a chance that you were carrying most of it on your back and now and now it's a thing that we just have so i mean there may be an aspirational part of that as well can we please talk about this week's poll question okay this week's poll question (laughs) wait yeah. Don't ask the poll question yet because we have to give the news first. Okay. The news give give is, the news, Ken. Yeah. The news is, and this is not terribly surprising because we did end season one of Discovery with the Discovery sitting, you know, uh, squarely in front of the Enterprise, which, of course, at the time would have been captained by uh, Captain Pike. The news is we've actually cast the actor for Captain Pike, and the actor that they've cast is a fairly big name which leads one to believe that Captain Pike, I mean, I guess it's possible. I mean, Rain Wilson is a big name. We got Harry Mudd twice. It's possible Mm -hmm. that Pike's only going to be there for one or two episodes, but it sounds like it's possible that Pike's going to be a bigger deal this season um, or going to be a big deal this season. Anyway, uh, cast to play him as Anson Mount. And I would not take from you, John, the joy of telling everybody who Anson Mount is, you trivia king, you. Oh, Anson Mount. All right. So I, I have talked many times on Mission Log about uh, how, how these these multiple fandoms overlap here, because you, you have people who came from Star Trek over to a show that I love, Hell on Wheels. So you had Cole Meany, who appeared on Hell on Wheels. You had Marvin Rush, the great Marvin Rush, director of photography on Star Trek The Next Generation, then on Deep Space Nine. He was the DP on Hell on Wheels. And the star of that show, and I believe he had a a producer credit at some point, I believe he even contributed to stories on that show, so he was deeply involved in that show. That was Anson Mount, who now will make his Star Trek debut as Captain Pike. Now, everybody's been talking about how Anson Mount, you you, you clean him up a little, because on Hell on Wheels, he was really scruffy. He had long hair and a beard, and it it was the 19th century. People just, you know, hygiene out in the the wilderness, you you, you didn't have a high priority on that. But uh, you clean him up a bit, and he, you know, it's definitely a bit of a resemblance to Jeffrey Hunter. And the thing that I'm excited about is that he's a fantastic actor. He mm-hmm. uh, in that show in Hell on Wheels, he carried every episode, and, and it was the gamut uh, of of emotions, of um, uh, of levels that an actor has to play. So here's the thing: we only get, as you said, just a taste of Captain Pike. There may not be a lot, but I'm excited for what we will get because he is awfully good so mm-hmm. right now the poll stands at uh, last i checked 77 percent of you are excited uh, uh to see captain pike 23 percent of you maybe not so much i don't know this because you're not excited about pike or not excited about ensign mount but um i for one am excited about both prospects I, i'm most excited about ensign mount being there look I, I love bruce greenwood i love jeffrey hunter um, if we had uh, Pike in the wheelchair, Mr. Sean Kenny didn't get to say a whole lot, <laughs> but um, uh, I am super excited about Anson Mount. Did I say that I'm excited, Ken? So I'm did very you, did, excited about Anson Mount. Did you see, by the way, that when they announced the news yesterday, Anson Mount changed his Twitter pick, but he oh. did change it to Pike in the wheelchair. Not oh, the Bruce Greenwood, the one from the Menagerie, which I think, which I think is a very funny thing to have done because it shows a 
you know, a sense of humor about what it is that he's going into, because that was the least emotive, obviously, because of what supposedly had happened to Pike. Uh, the least active, I would say, of any of the pikes that we've seen to this point. I right. gotta say, I mean, um, Anson Mount is is good, as you say. He's great. Mm-hmm. I personally am very excited about getting more of uh, Captain Pike. I don't, I mean, yeah. and I don't want to do the whole, are the movies real Star Trek? Are they not? Is the JG universe, whatever. Personally, I don't feel like we got a lot of Captain Pike in those movies because he was really just there as a prop for Kirk. Right. Yeah. He was there as a prop to get the the young um, Chris Pine Kirk up to speed as a captain. Right. I, yeah. I hope we actually get to spend some real time with Pike, because in just that one episode that we had with the cage, um, there was a there was a lot of depth. I don't know if it was to the writing. I don't know if it was to um, um, you said his name and now it's totally escaping me. But I don't know if it was the actor or the writing or what it was. But there's complexity to Pike. Um, that I really hope, I hope they explore the character. Don't just use him as a prop. And yes, the fact that they have such a good actor playing him uh, should make it a lot of fun. It, it was, I, I kind of, yeah. I, I, see, now I'm thinking back to the J.J. Abrams movies and the fact that you had Pike and you thought he was going to be dead, but at the end he was in a wheelchair, but then they just brought him back to kill him. <laughs> was, yeah. That, that's yeah. Not not too happy about that. And by the way, looking at the comments here, Lorian says John has a man crush. It's okay. We get it. Yeah, yeah, Lorian. I will accept that. Absolutely, <laughs> no problem. Kim says it's crazy how close he looks to Jeffrey Hunter. Yep, uh, definitely. Uh, Kim also says uh, Bruce Greenwood too old now. That's kind of a good point because this in the timeline you're talking about uh, a story uh, when the Discovery meets the Enterprise. Uh, somebody said about four years after the incident at Talos Four. Um, Shouldn't I, I think be that long, should it? I thought I thought no, there were only eleven years between um, the Cage and TOS when we met Kirk and Spock. Oh, okay, all right. So, so yeah, only a couple of years then, or or a yeah. year, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. This is kind of really important stuff that we absolutely need to solve. Yes. <laughs> so, so if you want to weigh in on that poll, please do so. And uh, let me take a look here as we are uh, waiting on our guests. I just do want to take a look at uh, a couple of the other questions that people are writing in. Very glad that you are doing exactly that. Carlos says, can we talk about a man alone? Well, Carlos, you, you can't just leave us hanging. What is it you want to talk about with a man alone? Because we, you know, just we, we could talk about it, Carlos, if you called in. Yeah. So give us a ring. You know how to do it. You can pick up the phone. You can call us at 669-900-6833, or you can click on that link and uh, join us on the uh, join us on the Zoom call, and Brandon will patch you. While we do wait for Jess, do you want to talk about what your impressions have been so far with Deep Space Nine? I know we're only about four or five weeks in, and we've got seven years of TV to watch. But uh, we addressed sort of early on that a lot of people seem to think that we weren't excited about it, that we weren't interested, that we didn't want to go there. And I'm curious, has your opinion at all changed in the first like four or five weeks that we've done? I can. First of all, I don't do impressions. Um, that's, uh, <laughs> been no, um, yes. So uh, a funny thing happened in today's episode that we recorded for this week for Thursday. I had mm-hmm. a little bit of a moment when we we're doing the Eagle Moss ad and we, we gave a special shout out to deep space nine because you can order those through Eagle Moss. And I, something changed in my voice. I got excited about it. And you said, it sounds like you're now at home in deep space nine. Yeah. Now, the the thing that always weirded me out is that people would write in and they would say, oh, you're dragging your feet to to get to Deep Space Nine. Oh, we know you don't want to go to Deep Space Nine. That was not the case at all. Uh, The fact that I was unfamiliar with Deep Space Nine, and that's only to an extent. I, I think just being a Star Trek fan, you and I both already know the premise. We already know the characters. We already know some of the important points from the series, but we hadn't sat down and systematically watched all of the episodes. So we're not going into it the same familiarity that we did with TOS and Next Gen. But here's the thing. It's just like a new TV show coming on now that somebody highly recommends. I'm excited about watching it. This is Mm -hmm. all material for me. 
So I'm thrilled to get new Star Trek. We have new Star Trek with Discovery, but now this is new Star Trek for me because I get to go on that journey watching it systematically. Um, I, I think you're kind of the same way. Well, I got to say, I mean, first of all, I mean, yes, I'm excited to get to know characters in a way that I have not known before. I mean, same as you. I can tell you some of the plot points. I can tell you who the different characters are. I can tell you that there's somebody coming. There's a big change coming for another character. I mean, I know stuff like that, but I haven't sat down and done the study that that we're talking Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. I will say, um, five episodes in they've knocked it out of the park as far as quality versus the first five episodes of TNG. I mean, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's because they had a few years under their belt of more modern television. I don't know if it's because they were taking a longer time to sort of uh, uh, tell the story that they wanted to tell. But, um, but so far, and again, as we do this, we're only five episodes in. there hasn't been a bad one yet. They haven't necessarily all been as strong as the last one because that's, actually impossible but um <laughs> but i mean it's 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 been good uh, especially with with the trepidation that everybody told me that i had going into it whether i actually had it or not it's been uh it's been um it's been a, a good surprise uh how strong it's been to this point yeah yeah uh, so some of those questions that are coming in specifically though so um let's see we we had Carlos saying, uh, are you going to mention the opening credit change? I assume that you mean with the uh the addition of the wormhole uh which is kind of funny we we mentioned uh again spoiler for those of you who listen to mission log coming out on a Thursday uh we mentioned that it seems very quiet for a place that has this wormhole open that this is a big deal for this sector. Whoa, a stable wormhole. There should just be traffic like crazy, but there hasn't been, (laughs) at least not that we've seen on camera. Uh, But yeah, they did change that in the uh, opening credits. So from Emissary, you did not have the wormhole. And then going into the second episode, you did have the wormhole show up in the credits. Um, Brett says, so excited for Captive Pursuit. That is indeed the episode that we recorded today that'll be out on Thursday. So um, I can't wait for you to hear what we thought of that episode because it is a meaty one. Um, Wes says the first five episodes of Enterprise are better than the first five of TNG. I don't know if that's... uh, I don't know if they... (laughs) trying to take the mickey wow. out of enterprise or um if uh, you're taking the mickey out of tng but I, I either like, way i feel like wes is trying to start a fight honestly i think, I think he is yeah he is. hey um so if you have any other questions that you want to ask us about the deep space nine stuff or anything else you want to throw at us feel free to call in or feel free to to, to post those in facebook we might be able to get to them a bit later in the show right now though we are happy to welcome our guest are we Right. On. I think we are. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm looking at a thing here. And so I can see that, that, uh, that uh, Jess has joined us. I think you had an intro written. Did you not, sir? Because if you did not. Uh, you know what? We'll, we'll play it by ear. The, the okay. intro is that we are very happy to have Jess Phoenix joining us. So uh, Jess, as you mentioned, is a volcanologist. She is so a working scientist. Uh, she is running for office in California and most importantly, to tie all of this together, she is a Star Trek fan. So that, that is kind of the, this interesting, critical, and weird place that we've met up here to, uh, to bring you Jess. So Jess, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Thanks so much for having me, you guys. This is awesome. Uh, it's so fun to be here, and I'm really excited to talk to you. And, you're not uh, on your way to us right now, are you? <laughs> I wish. I wish. No, unfortunately, I got stuck down in L.A. today um, running an errand. And uh, so I'm in the car. I am not driving, however. I am not that skilled, nor do I have a self-driving vehicle. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, my poor driver has to listen to all this. But he's my husband, so he's used to it. <laughs> oh, cool. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, I thought it was just you were doing a thing where you, you're just like on a green screen and you're like, I'm going to add some motion to this <laughs> right. show. We'll come back. Yeah, from no, break. Sorry. <laughs> we'll come back from break later, and it'll be a roller coaster, and then later it'll be an aquarium. <laughs> it'll be a volcano. I mean, come on, you're talking to a volcanologist, so it's either okay. going to be a Vulcan exactly. or a volcano, one of the two. <laughs> so, well, so you know, who's your favorite also Vulcan? A... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, John. Yeah. So, your volcanologist. Who's your favorite Vulcan? 
So I'm really conflicted because, you know, there's the classic with Mr. Spock. And I mean, he's who obviously got me into it. But I'm really partial to Tuvok now after having uh, met Tim Russ and, uh, you know, talked to him in person and everything, which unfortunately you can't do with Leonard Nimoy at this point. So I, I don't know. I'm really conflicted. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's the kind of tough decision that I don't want to have to make uh, in office. <laughs> okay. So uh, enough with the funny comedy jokes. Of course, you're a volcanologist who studies volcanoes. Not a volcanologist who said he's Vulcans, but clearly that, that was the test question. You know, your Star Trek, you study Vulcans as well. Yeah, you have to. I can't say like, you know, I know everything. I mean, through, through this whole process of running for Congress, I've met a lot of people who love Star Trek because the values of my campaign are very like plugged into the Star Trek ideals. Um, but I will say that, like, I know enough uh, and I love it. And so uh, you're not getting going to like have me winning all the star trek trivia but you know i mean if you want to ask me about actual volcanoes i think i'll be perfectly fine (laughs) well i guess i mean forgive me but let's go back to the very beginning because i know i just missed meeting you by about five minutes i think at stlv last year i know you Uh, and john have talked a bit but for people uh who, who maybe this is their first introduction um aside from being a volcanologist give us a give us a bit of rundown on um on who Jess Phoenix is. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I, um, I have lived all over the place. My parents were both FBI agents. So when you have that as your start, you're bound to try to do something that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, you can't have your mom one-upping you forever. Uh, so I, uh, you know, I, I've moved around a lot, and I got into volcanoes after studying history uh, for my first degree. And I really um, just love learning. Uh, I'm curious about everything um, the entire world around me. And, uh, you know, I actually had, uh, I first got into Star Trek actually thanks to one of my uncles who, when I was a little kid was so into it. And he would always talk to me about how it was so intelligent. And because the curiosity that they, that existed in the Star Trek universe was, you know, driving force. So, um, I, I had that embedded kind of early on and then everything I've done since then, uh, I founded a nonprofit that does environmental science research and education we, uh, we teach students how to do field science um, out in the Mojave Desert in California. Uh, and I've done work on six continents, and I do shows for Discovery Channel and Science Channel. And all that is as a scientist. I, I want to explore my world. And, uh, you know, until we get to the point where everybody's going into space, um, I focus my efforts on understanding this planet. Uh, and I think we're going to see a lot of similarities with other worlds that we encounter as we explore more and more of the universe. Um, I decided to run for Congress because uh, with Trump's election and with uh, the guy I'm running against, Steve Knight, realizing that he has voted 100 percent against uh, any kind of environmental bills that would be protective um, of the environment. I thought, you know, we're not going to have funding for science. We're not going to have this planet that is so amazing and unique. Uh, and we're not going to be able to advance our knowledge as, as a society unless we bring science into the conversation. So that's really what motivated me to run. I got I to gotta say, and this is something that John and I talked a bit about before we asked you to be on the show. Um, I heard somebody say on TV recently, there's never been a more contentious time in U.S. politics than there are right now. And I was reminded of the Civil War. But we're in a very contentious time right now. One of the reasons that we wanted to talk to you and one of the reasons that that I think we argued that, yes, we should do this is because you are a scientist talking about science and talking about laws being made around science. That's the kind of thing that you sort of feel like if somebody's going to make a law that says, yes, we should fund, no, we shouldn't fund, whatever. At the very least, we should have input from a scientist, if not, you know, actually somebody with a vote. I got to ask, though, if you don't mind, um, came across an article in the Los Angeles Daily News about you. And I want to I want to read just part of it. Um, She says that she would bring to Washington, D.C., a scientific approach to problem solving and Star Trek values. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about Star Trek values. What are they as far as you're concerned? That actually wasn't the major article that sort of touched off my connection with Star Trek. It was actually, um, there was a podcast I did um, that was with Wired Magazine. And back in December, it was trending on the front page of Reddit, uh, which I, that sort of threw me for a loop because, you know, never do you expect to be trending on the front page of Reddit for a good thing. Um, And and so it really, uh, to me, Star Trek values are kind of 
I, I guess it speaks to the heart of what Gene Roddenberry was going for with uh, making, uh, you know, the, the um, you know, the original series so inclusive and diverse and so focused on a utopian future. We usually see a lot of dystopian futures. I mean, George Orwell, 1984, uh, you know, a lot of Robert Heinlein stuff or Isaac Asimov, you know, the, the futurists, the thinkers always seem to have a very negative angle on, uh, on the world, what the world would look like when we were more advanced as a civilization and as a society. Uh, I think Star Trek really changed that whole paradigm and kind of portrayed a more optimistic future. And those values, like, like, I mean, you even just see it live long and prosper, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. I mean, these are things that really resonate with me as both a scientist and as a human who cares about other humans and what we do with our planet. So I think that's what it is. And, you know, in Congress, we need to be looking at things both analytically, very logically, and uh, also with empathy and with heart. And I think that that is what's fundamental to creating good laws that serve everybody in our country and, and will impact future generations in a positive way. And I, I really think Star Trek speaks to a lot of that. It's a post-war, you know, for the most part, uh, post-famine, post-poverty sort of world where everybody gets to contribute to society in different ways, but everybody has a purpose. Uh, even though we don't have the same, you know, there's not the same day-to-day struggle for, you know, making a quick buck that we have today. And I think that's a really great vision to aim for. I mean, who knows if we'll encounter that diversity of quote unquote alien life forms. But, uh, but I think that for that as a goal, if that's where we're headed, I'm for it. Can I ask about the other, the other thing really quickly in that same uh, piece? Um, she says she'd bring to Washington a scientific approach to problem solving. Can you, again, I mean, and maybe this seems, maybe this seems sort of simplistic questions, but I, I'm, I'm curious what exactly you mean when you, when you say that. No, these are perfectly fine questions. And, um, you know, especially for people who may not be typically into politics, uh, you know, because they think, oh, you know, science isn't political, uh, you know, technology, we should not politicize that. Um, so first I'll start by saying that science is inherently political. Uh, that is something that a lot of people don't know or don't think about that way. Uh, when a government decides what they're going to fund and you know, how they're going to allocate the money for scientific research and technology development, that's a political statement. A lot of uh, governments don't fund science, and uh, the United States typically has, particularly in terms of space exploration uh, and doing technological research uh, and development that will help make our lives hopefully better. So when a government decides that they are not going to fund certain science, that also is a political statement. What isn't political, and this is what I want to stress uh, and what I would bring to the table in Congress, is that the scientific method is objective. It is not political. Uh, The way that scientists view the world, the way that we look at problems, uh, the way that we investigate hypotheses and uh, try to test them, it's a process of removing uncertainty. And that's something that we're trained in from the very beginning of our time as scientists. That's what I want to bring to Congress. I want to, you know, perhaps there is no objective truth for certain things, but we can remove uncertainties to know, uh, to try to figure out what the best approach to take is for given situations and for, to solve given problems. That's what I want to bring to Congress. It's the creative problem solving. And you don't see that from your traditional congressional crowd. Uh, think about it. Like right now, 80% of Congress is lawyers and business people. That's a pretty high number. Or, you know, the founding folks who got our country going, you had Ben Franklin and Thomas Jefferson. And you know, a lot of these people had scientific backgrounds and scientific minds. And I think it's really valuable to have a scientific approach to handling our problems. Well, let me ask you just a little bit deeper on that. Where do you think this breakdown is? Because we're describing that, uh, yes, the U.S. government, unlike many other governments, will fund science, scientific research, but we don't have scientific representation. Maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I I can't think of who is currently a, a, a sitting member of our Congress that specifically has a scientific background or, or specifically has run on a platform of scientific advocacy. Um, so where is that breakdown and how do you change that? The, okay, so there's a few things. 
things there to answer. Um, one is that we actually have, uh, there's a sitting physicist in Congress, Bill Foster of Illinois. Uh, and then there's also Jerry McNerney, who uh, has his PhD in mathematics. So not so much a scientist, but a STEM guy. I mean, he understands uh, STEM issues and things like that. So uh, Congressman McNerney has endorsed my campaign, which is fantastic. Uh, but that's really bad. I mean, there's 435 members of Congress, and I just gave you two because that's pretty much all there is uh, in terms of scientific folks in Congress. That does not that's not representational of our representative of our country. Sorry, words it's a long day. Uh, but it's uh, it doesn't truly represent our, the breakdown of our society in terms of professions um, and backgrounds. And you know, Congress we only have 19 percent women. Uh, representing us. And obviously, we're over 50% society-wide uh, women. So this is something that you know we need to be working on addressing this and making Congress more representational of who we are as a society. Uh, also, um, the breakdown really happened. It really began uh, in the, well, 64 years ago, when uh, Robert Oppenheimer, who you know helped create nuclear technologies and the bomb and everything, he was persecuted uh, for speaking up for his concerns about how nuclear technology could be used. And uh, he had his security clearances revoked. And that was a pretty harsh rebuke at that time. So scientists said, you know what? I want to keep my grant funding. I'm going to just put my head down and do the work. And that attitude has continued um, into kind of a warped way of scientists saying, oh, I can't be political. I'm a scientist. And when that's when I point back to the case of no science is political, uh, you know, it's really just up to scientists now to, you know, activate themselves and to say, you know what, I'm going to engage in politics. I'm going to speak up for the for the whoever, whichever representatives or, or senators or party is best representing the true needs of the scientific community in terms of funding and uh, direction. So I think that, you know, we're seeing that now we're seeing a shift. We're seeing scientists focusing on how to communicate better, engaging in public policymaking. For science last year, uh, it was amazing to see that turnout. Seven continents, um, all seven continents had people marching for science. And uh, this year I get to speak at the March for Science LA again. And I'm just really, really hopeful for the future. So you're a volcanologist, um, but clearly that's not the the only scientific interest you have, and and clearly you are well versed in other scientific disciplines. What are the primary focuses that you think that from a from a, a government a top down position need to be addressed for well, I think a couple of things, but scientific education of the public, but also what what policies are important that reflect a scientific point of view that, that, that are your concerns about the future? Okay. So we got to start at the top first uh, because it's such a big one. Uh, climate change is huge. And this is something like I have obviously studied a lot of volcanoes, but also all sorts of natural hazards. And I have actually participated in climate science research on different continents. And uh, we use a technique called cosmogenic nuclide dating. If anybody wants to Google it, it's pretty neat. Uh, It lets you measure the amount of cosmic radiation that has bombarded um, particular rocks. And we can actually use those sort of to tell us when events happen, like landslides or lava flows. Uh, And, you know, it also shows us where glaciers were versus where they are now. So we can use a lot of this to tell to interpret what was going on at the earth in different stages. Um, the climate is changing. And what our data are showing is that a lot of that change is driven by humans. It's anthropogenic climate change. So, you know, it, there's no conspiracy. There's no big green that's paying off scientists. Uh, my student loans definitely will attest to that. Um, <laughs> there, there's, we're not trying to say that climate change is happening because it's good you know, just because it's fun uh, or we make money off of it. It's because, you know, even the military recognizes that climate change is the greatest threat to national security that we're going to see in the 21st century because it's a threat multiplier. This is something where it actually increases the ability of terrorists to gain footholds in different societies and to, it makes them stronger because they can actually use uh, food scarcity resourceful uh, as a terror mechanism. Uh, we also see, you know, like like Chad uh, in Africa is actually receding as the uh, the Sahara Desert has grown by 10 percent since 1930. And 
this is 10% doesn't sound like a lot, but the Sahara is huge. That is a, that's a large amount. Uh, we're seeing so many manifestations of climate change that are coming down the pipeline and are happening today with sea level rise and ocean acidification. Uh, we're going to see increasing desertification. We'll see more extreme temperatures and more extreme weather. And these things will happen more frequently. So we need to be ready. And to me, if we're preparing for one threat, you're preparing for a lot of threats. So whether that's a natural disaster, like say an earthquake, really relevant here in Southern California where I live. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of people in the world who live in earthquake zones. Uh, but we'll also be, you know, if we prepare for something like climate change, we're also preparing for things like earthquakes or things like man-made terror events. So having the supplies in place, having our infrastructure protected, this is where science can help us. And uh, we need to be leaning on that uh, to address the issue of climate change. I think another area where we really need to be putting some scientific weight behind what we do is in green technology research and development. I've got a vision for my community here in Southern California to make us one of the global leaders uh, for green tech research and development. Uh, I think that's how we're going to deal with the, the rise in automation. And we're going to have jobs where people are making and designing green technology. And we have the infrastructure here to help support that. And I think that Having the United States be a leader in green tech R&D needs to be a, pro a priority. We can't cede this to other countries. Um, look at the vision of what we were, well, the vision that we had with, uh, you know, we saw Sputnik. We said, ah, you know, we need to get in on this space thing. And, uh, you know, we sent a, a, a man to the moon within 10 years because we put our minds to it. And I think as a, as a country, we can do that again. So I really want science weighing in on that. And then you asked about education, too. Um, the education-wise, obviously, you know, I'm a big fan of STEM education, but my major in an undergrad was in history. So I, I do see the importance of the humanities, don't get me wrong. So I'm a big fan of making sure that we provide kids with a really strong public education, that we give teachers the tools and training they need for educating the kids in STEM and in all the other fields that kids need to succeed. And of course, I would like to see uh, one thing I've been in working on is a policy to kind of mimic the NDEA, which was a National Defense Education Act that helped us. Once we saw Sputnik, it was a response to that, where we allocated funding from the Department of Defense, um, you know, from the military's budget, I should say, um, to help get our manufacturing up to speed. It was an incentive the federal government provided so that we could be competitive uh, in, a, in a kind of a new era. I want to see that same sort of thing for cybersecurity. Because that is, that's where the wars of today and the future are going to be fought. So we need to make sure that we prioritize cybersecurity, education, and training. And I want to see some of our budget that's for defense used for that. So there's a lot of different ways we can be integrating science and technology and, and the way the government can help shape our future. And, you know, I think that we need to be preparing for everything that's coming down the pipeline because we're in a rapidly changing world. All right, guys. So uh, this is one of the first times on Mission Log that we have uh, really gotten into the nitty gritty with a scientist, somebody who is running for office. Um, I see the comments coming in here on Facebook, uh, people who are, are typing in their comments. I want you guys to call. This is a rare opportunity to talk to somebody who comes from this very unique position. All you need to do is click on the Zoom link or dial 669-900-6833. And talk to Jess directly. I would love that because um, this isn't the kind of thing you get to do very often. It's not the kind of thing we usually do on Mission Log. Please take advantage of this and, uh, and let's get down into the weeds here with science talk and some political talk here as well. Uh, we are going to come back in just a second, but I believe, I believe we need to stop and do a little bit of business. Am I right, Ken? Yeah. Uh, just a tiny bit. Because okay. we want to remind people about the um, the shop that we have and the stuff that you know people can sort of pick up and and see for themselves. I mentioned STLV earlier. I have this crazy dream. I have this crazy <laughs> dream that people are just going to be walking up to us at our at our booth with you know all the different kind of shirts that that we've got out there. Shirts like well, well, John, you can tell people the kind of shirts that we have at our at our shop. By the way, missionlogpodcast.com slash shop uh, yeah. is where you find these. And and what will people find there, John? Well, uh, let, let's say that uh, you had a deep cut, like let's say Mr. Atos, and then you want a shirt that refers to Mr. Atos, or, or let's say that 
you might like to take a vacation at Farpoint Station. And you like something very specific to Farpoint Station. Well, you can go to our shop, missionlogpodcast.com and click on shop and you will find the, the deep cut references like, oh, the old classic bonk bonk on the head since 1966. This one with, uh, well, a couple of very Trek-ish looking characters saying, you see Timmy, because that was the, uh, the phrase that we, we kind of pioneered on Mission Log. Uh, we have our tribute to Nova Squadron with that long lost late member of Nova Squadron. You know the one we're talking about. We have Ditalics Mining Corporation. That's the beauty of this. We make one reference to one thing on the show, and then suddenly Carl is cranking out a design that uh, becomes an instant classic. Um, you also have some of the original designs like Cool as Kirk and the, the uh, Ethos Pathos logos. So all of those and so much more and a lot more coming that we've got cooking up. They're all at missionlogpodcast.com. Click on shop. It's not just for T-shirts. You'll find mugs, stickers, notebooks, tapestries. If your place is missing a tapestry, you can go get one there. Tons of stuff to check out. You can make your own truly unique Trek-ish gear. So get it today at missionlogpodcast.com by clicking on shop and uh, show us some love. Show Carl some love. And uh, we'd love for you to check it out. Oh, and Heather, of course, says replicated puppies. Where are the replicated puppies? Um, Yeah. You you get some good science money into that, and then maybe one day (laughs) we'll actually have the replicated puppies. It's kind of tough to say. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, please go there. Check that stuff out. Missionlogpodcast.com and then click the shop button, and then you are well on your way. Uh, our guest this evening is Jess Phoenix, uh, Jess2018.com, if you want to learn more and find out more about, about Jess and what she's doing. I got I to gotta say, there is a, um, there's a phrase, I'd rather light a candle than curse the darkness. The fact that you're throwing your hat in the ring indicates to me that there's a certain amount of optimism uh, from your end. And I guess what I'm wondering is, what is it that you see today I mean, are you are you seeing yourself as it's dark? I'm going to light a candle, or are you seeing other things that make you optimistic that think that you're thinking, you know what? Yeah, let's all go this way. I think it's really uh, a combination of both. I mean, I'm not a person who likes to just sit by the sidelines and wait for someone else to solve the problem. Uh, you know, when you lead expeditions into you know crazy places like what I do into active volcanoes and things like that. You really have to be, I think, the kind of person who wants to make the best of whatever situation comes your way. So that's kind of lighting the candle is is something that I'm trying to do. But there are so many people who are fired up and who care about what's happening in the world around us. And I also have a lot of cause to be optimistic because, you know, I talk to people all the time. Like, clearly, I'm not a fan of Trump, uh, but I have really good conversations with people who are Republicans who also are not fans. Uh, and they say, you know what? Like, I'm not by any means liberal. Uh, you know, say I'm very conservative, but I like that you're trying to bring a different kind of perspective to politics. You're bringing a different voice. You're trying to say, hey, look, let's do this with a fact-based kind of, kind of uh, set of positions. And people like that because when you really get down to it, there is way more that unites us than divides us. And, you know, we may disagree on how we get where we want to go. But when you tell people, look, clean air, clean water, clean soil, good educations for kids, um, you know, good jobs, good opportunity to do what you want with your life and a, a safe place to do it in, most of us agree on that. So I think that there, we just have to keep being optimistic by finding every chance we can to connect with other people and connect in a real personal way. Online connection, not quite the same. Uh, you know, it's we do have... The ability to connect with people now more than we ever have, but finding those true moments of human connection where you really recognize that somebody else, even if you may have opposing views from them, when you realize like, hey, we're in this together, you know, that, that actually is a pretty special thing. And I see a lot of that these days and it, it gives me hope. Uh, we have a caller waiting. We have Dave who would like to ask a question. Dave, are you there, sir? Yes, I am. How's it going? Good, good. How are you tonight? Hello. Pretty good. How are you? Excellent. Welcome back to the show. Do you have a question for Jess tonight? 
absolutely. So uh, thanks for the discussion tonight. Uh, really good conversation. Um, you know, a lot of people, I, I think, uh, sort of stereotype Star Trek as being a, more of a progressive or liberal kind of vision of the future. Um, I actually think that it's more apolitical. And in fact, if you look at the, the, the vision of Star Trek of the future, there's a lot of things that I think conservatives could uh, enjoy about the narrative because you know, it's really, it's really about people uh, taking ownership of their problems and and solutions kind of coming from the people, not like top down, but bottom up. Um, And it's, it, you know, to me, what's so compelling about the storytelling is that it's saying like, Hey, we, we came together, we solved these problems outside of these broken systems. And, you know, we, we, we found solutions to humanity's problems, um, not through a liberal or conservative thing, but because it was the right thing to do. So I guess my question is, um, it's kind of a big one. Um, how how do we how do we get closer to that future? How do we unlock the potential of our society to solve the problems that, um, to your earlier point, that we were able to do in the past um, uh, by by just unleashing the creativity of the other people to to, to solve the, the problems that we have in the United States. Thank you so much for asking that question, Dave, because it's a fantastic one. I would love it if we were in a post-partisan society, because I think it's, you know, a lot of times, especially our two-party system causes a lot of problems. Um, I want people working together for the common good for, for all of humanity. And uh, I think we can get there and, and achieve that sort of, you know, multi-solution focused society that we see in Star Trek, whether it's mostly, you know, bottom up, but also top down. I think there's a bit of both going on. Um, I think that we really need to nurture and foster curiosity kids. I think that's how we do it. Um, it's because curiosity is something that we all share innately. We're born with it. And as you know, tiny humans, we have this desire to learn and explore everything about the world around us. And that gets squeezed out of us as we get older, uh, because the pressures of life and of having a job and raising a family and you know that, that really will just kick the curiosity right out of you. And I think if we are encouraging kids to hang on to that, and we see it a lot with young women, uh, when, when girls reach middle school, that's when they kind of fall away from the STEM fields. And, uh, you know, that's demonstrable. They've shown that with studies. And, you know, I, I'm not talking just girls here. We need to do this for everybody. We need to keep kids engaged and curious and asking questions about the world around them for as long as we can. Because that's how we, we end up with a whole society of people who want to ask questions and genuinely want to know what the answers are. That's how we get that exploration-based mindset that I think we need if we're going to work together to solve these problems and, and look past whatever superficial differences we might have to see the inherent humanity in everyone. Great. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Do you, do, you think, uh, do you think climate change will be uh, at last the, um, that, uh, that, that crisis moment that brings people together? That, that climate change will kind of be our, our Sputnik moment of our time. Or, and again, to the Star Trek narrative, and Ken and John have talked about this, that um, we, we didn't get there overnight. Like, we, we got to this idealized future after, you know, World War and all this negative stuff happened, and then humans discovered aliens, and then, you know, it all happened. So do you think in, in the real-life uh, timeline, I, I guess, you know, would, it, is, is climate change going to be that thing that finally – kind of pulls a trigger to to get us to come together and find some creative solutions. Well, if I put my futurist hat on for a moment, instead of being a scientist, um, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, It's, um, it is something that is, it's so big and so global. Uh, You know, we have the threat of nuclear warfare and mutually assured destruction before. Not surprised if areas fishing lakes are drying up you know this is uh this is all sorts of um this is all sorts of people around the world needing to band together to solve these problems dave thank you very much for calling in tonight man give us a call back again okay it will do thanks a lot Thanks a lot. Hey, we do have another caller that we want to get to in just a moment. But first, I want to remind people really quickly about something uh, to do after this show. Uh, Our friends over at Priority One are going to be getting together in about 40 minutes from now. 1130 Eastern, 830 uh, Pacific every Tuesday night after this show. Elijah, Kenna and Tony bring you news from all over the Star Trek multiverse 
Uh, this is TV and movie news, gaming news, literary reviews, uh, plus a whole bunch of other stuff. They kick off, as I say, about a half hour after we end our show. So when we're done, grab yourself a tasty beverage or, you know, don't. I'm not forcing you to grab yourself a tasty beverage, but, you know, get comfortable, relax, and join the good people over at Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Uh, they stream live as it happens, facebook.com slash Priority One podcast. And if you can't join them tonight, uh, the show that they record tonight will actually be edited and put out as an actual podcast on Friday. So add them to your download list if you don't make it live or, you know, be a crazy person like me, listen to it live and then add it to your download list as well, because I can't get enough of it. <laughs> so we have Apparently. a caller. We have a caller who's been patient. Uh, caller. Wait, I'm sorry. We didn't get a name. So uh, caller, are you there? Yes. Hi. Good evening. My name is Kyle. How are you guys? Hey, Kyle. Pleasure to hear from you. Likewise. So, uh, my question is, uh, well, builds on the, the previous question. So I, I really love the idea of uh, building into society the desire for exploration and the seeking of knowledge. Uh, to, to kind of switch from the, the future building back to the current day diplomacy, uh, I'm curious, Jess Phoenix, what are some of your strategies for um, engaging in discourse with of folks who have different opinions than you do in, in current political and scientific climate. Um, and I'm reminded a little bit of Captain Picard. A lot of times he's kind of the go-to diplomatic figure that, that we see in Star Trek, particularly the next generation. Uh, what, what lessons from Picard are you bringing to Congress to uh, share with the world? <laughs> nice. I think it, it's a really great question, Kyle. Thank you so much. Um, I also like that you tied it into Picard because, yeah, who doesn't love him? Um, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think it's the um, – I see him as probably the consummate diplomat uh, of the show for me, and uh, including uh, Discovery as well. Um, I think that he really exemplified what I would like to see from our leadership these days, uh, meaning we need to come to discussions with other people with an open mind and with patience. And, uh, you know, it, it taps back into what I said previously, which is curiosity. Uh, when I deal with people, uh, when I've dealt with them throughout my career, whether it's as a scientist or when I used to teach at the college level, um, I would deal with people who would say, oh, the earth is 6,000 years old. My youth group said so. And I would go, oh, uh, you know, because I'm attempting to teach a whole class and I have to be very diplomatic, but also stand up for science and for the facts. So what I've learned to do, and you know, I think we do see it modeled a lot of the time uh, in Trek, is, is ask questions, is to take the curiosity and to turn it around and use it to understand more about people who I may have a differing, uh, differing system of beliefs, a differing understanding of the world than. And I think that we can all learn a lot by doing that. I mean, it may mean that you have to have some difficult conversations. I tell everybody, engage in those difficult conversations, but do so with an open mind and be curious, ask people, you know, why they believe what they believe. And I think that applies to whether you're dealing with somebody down the street from you or whether, you know, if you're dealing with somebody who is a Senator or a representative or a foreign leader, I think that wanting to understand where someone comes from and what their situation is, is such a basic thing that we often overlook. And, uh, you know, I really think that captain Picard is pretty good at that stuff. Kyle, thank you very much for calling in tonight, man. We do appreciate it. Thank you. So, Jess, I don't know if we warned you about this or not, but we have a goofy thing that we're trying to do every week. And when I say every week, it pretty much just comes down to when we remember. But we did happen <laughs> to remember this week. so Oh, there, there was uh, definitely no warning uh, at oh, all. No warning. Yeah. Excellent. So, so, so yeah. we do a thing called the lightning round. And you can probably tell what that is, where basically we're just going to throw a bunch of questions at you and, and hopefully you'll throw us answers just straight back. Almost no thinking, although, you know, you can take a little time to think about it if you want to. Are you game? I can try. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. well, like, I don't think it's going to be. I'm a little brain fried because, you know, I have been uh, like nonstop for the last year almost of my life with mm-hmm. the congressional stuff. So I will say that at times it feels like my brain is oozing out of my ears. So I will do my best. Oh, even better. Well, this is going to be these, great. 
These are not trivia questions. These are questions just sort of like your own personal. Yeah, they touch on some of the science stuff, the science fiction stuff, and certainly the cool. Star Trek stuff. For example, who's your captain? Oh, my God. Um, can I say a captain who isn't even a captain yet? Michael Burnham. Oh, my God. I'm obsessed. Yeah, I know. I know. So, All right. Sorry, I'm, I'm obsessed with Discovery. Not going to lie. <laughs> nice. That's very cool. So if you were a race from Star Trek besides human, uh, which would you be? Uh, oh, my God. I kind of, because I, I love John Billingsley so much, I might just say Denobulant. <laughs> <laughs> nice because we, yeah, you know, we, we had bets that it was going to be vulcan okay yeah no I, vulcan is what i would you'd expect me to say but you know yes. i gotta be i gotta throw it up mix it up a little here but i do love john billingsley so why not like one of the coolest guys i've ever met why not be his character's race <laughs> fair enough Species, uh, favorite you know. favorite star trek bad guy oh well the gorn i live seven minutes from vasquez rocks where they filmed that scene so oh. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Uh, favorite starship? Enterprise. Come on. Like, that's well, it. Okay. Which, which enterprise? Oh, I'm very specific with my enterprise. Is it? Is it? Yeah, I can see the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's actually the one to your left on the top there. So. Mm, I'm okay, pointing, so but I don't know if it's helping. Really, Your really left, yeah. Original yeah. series. There yep. we go. Yep. Yep. Okay, okay. Yep. Good Super choice. Classic. I accept, I accept nope. that. My, my nope. the yeah. No bloody A, B, C, or D. <laughs> yep, yep. got to go classic. Exactly. Uh, have you seen Star Trek the Animated Series? No, I haven't. And I've heard so much about it. I would love to. Okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe right. you know, when you're done with the whole Congress thing, eventually, years and years from now, you could take a little time. Who knows? Yeah, like exactly. right now I have to sneak in my viewing. And so watching Discovery took me way longer than it should have because, I mean, my, my viewing hours are so limited. Now I'm trying to watch the Orville and I'm trying to get through the first season and it's taken me like three months. So no. <laughs> I, I, w- I will make one really quick argument for uh, the animated series. Each okay. episode is only 22 minutes long. So, oh, oh, yep, yeah, yeah, that's like bite size. I could do that. All right. Exactly. Might be more digestible. Yeah. Favorite scientist from history. Oh my God. Um, okay. So I can I go with someone who's still alive? Sure. Sure. Okay. It's actually gonna be somebody that most people don't know about. Um, so his name is Frank Truesdell. He's a volcanologist at the Hawaiian Volcano Observatory, and he is one of my two geology mentors. And this guy is amazing. Uh, he knows so much about both forestry and geology, and he is just an absolute amazing legend in every sense of the word. And I wish every scientist had a chance to work with Frank because he's totally life-changing. Fantastic. So on the flip side, favorite scientist from fiction? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There's so many. Hmm. Um, I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. This is the, not a very good lightning round answer, is it? No, that's oh, fine. I, look, that's you're fine. steeped in real science. So, I know. You know that, yeah, that's fine. That's yeah, fine. Oh, my God. You, sorry, you just we, like, broke my brain because I was before I studied history, even I was an English major. And so I would read all the time. And maybe just for the classicness of it, I could say Dr. Frankenstein. Maybe I yeah. should. I loved Mary Shelley. So that's not yeah. a bad one. Uh, <laughs> favorite, favorite tech from Trek. Hmm. It's gotta be the replicator because that, I mean, come on, when you have the replicator, you don't have hunger anymore. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. No. We said post- there were no wrong answers. That, that is the correct answer. So yeah, post scarcity plus you can eat whatever you want to. And finally, the last question, have you been to Vulcan, Alberta, Canada? I have not. I am Dude. so sorry. I would love so to. far. <laughs> I have not asked that question and had anybody say yes. So, so no problem I think at all. I go. I mean, th- I've been to Volcano Hawaii, so I guess Vulcan would be a logical follow-up to that. I don't know that there's a volcano anywhere near Vulcan, but I've also never been there. So really, I'm no help on that front. Uh, Jess Phoenix, uh, we're coming so close to the end of our time, but I have to thank you so much for joining us. And I want to remind people, Jess2018.com, if you want to find out more. Uh, really, especially because you had, you know, especially because you got stuck where you got stuck. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. 
Thank you for putting up with me being in a car. Uh, I apologize. <laughs> I know we were losing the light and I've turned on like the overhead light and the flashlight on my, my husband's phone. So we're trying, but thank you for sticking with me. And this was an absolute pleasure. You guys rock. And uh, you know what? Thank you. I salute you. <laughs> uh, hey, live long and prosper yourself. And, and yes. I hope we'll see you again soon. Uh, if it's STOV this year or, or whenever. Uh, and best of luck to you. And again, folks, Jess2018.com. You know, uh, I, Thank you for joining us and thank you to our listeners for uh, indulging us a little political talk and more importantly, a bit of scientific talk. We'll uh, we'll do it again. Thank you. Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Women at War, Priority One, The Trek Files, and the list is growing. And we would again like to thank uh, you guys for joining us tonight. We'll talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.